Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a Presbyterian USA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more information about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children, youth, and adults at ndpc.org. And you can follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come and join us in person. That's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. I don't suspect too many of you spend your days poring over the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. It's all right if you don't. I don't either. It's been 15 years that I've been preaching in churches, and not a single time have I preached on the books of Ezra or Nehemiah. Today's reading, in fact, is the one time that these books appear in the three-year lectionary cycle. So we're going to read from Nehemiah today. Don't go to sleep, because I might not get around to it for another 15 years. In all seriousness, I was a bit taken aback at how relevant the themes of these books are for our current moment, and you might be surprised, too. Now, because we don't spend a lot of time with these two books, I'm going to do a little bit of a favor and uh, give you a little bit of background so that you know what you're about to hear. Let me set the scene for the reading from today. Nehemiah and Ezra are two of Israel's most influential leaders during the return from exile. The exile began in 587 BCE. It continued for multiple generations. It is the central crisis, the central political and theological crisis in the history of Israel. In 587, the Babylonian armies came in and they sacked Jerusalem and desecrated the temple. It was years later that the Persian armies conquered the Babylonians, and by the edict of the Persian king Cyrus, the Israelites, or what was left of the Israelites at that time, were allowed to come back and undertake the awesome and maybe impossible task of rebuilding what had been destroyed. It was grim work, and it was hard work. How do you rebuild a city? How do you rebuild all of the social and familial networks that make up a people? How do you rebuild a culture? Now, Nehemiah is the administrator. He takes charge of the repair of the walls and the buildings. There is a heated debate about whether walls even work as a mechanism for securing people. That should sound familiar to some of us. There's also a debate that Ezra stirs. Ezra is a teacher. His job is to make sure that people understand and obey God's law. And Ezra thinks that one of the problems is there's been too much religious laxity, people. Too much laxity. And too much marriage with foreign women. So Ezra begins his program of true religion and ethnic purification. That should also sound somewhat familiar to our own time. 
Then, as now, there was opposition to this particular rebuilding program, both from within and from without. By the end of Nehemiah, it's not even clear that this program will achieve its hoped-for results. And still, and still, by the eighth chapter of Nehemiah, the walls have come up. It is quite an accomplishment. It is at that moment that the people feel like they need something, something in this program of reinscribing their identity is missing. Walls aren't doing it. Chastising people for marrying foreign women isn't fixing what is broken. So here's what happens next. This is from Nehemiah 8. All the people, all the people, gathered together in the square before the water gate. The people told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. So accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding, probably children too. This was on the first day of the seventh month. Ezra read from it, facing the square before the water gate. You can see it in your mind's eye, I hope. Ezra read from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears, the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And then they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And so they read. That people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions of them to those for whom nothing has been prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that is the word of God for you, the people of God. We say, thanks be to God. How many of you have ever been to a synagogue for services? If you have, you know that they are set up very, very similarly to our own sanctuary. The seats face forward to the front, where there is a raised platform just like ours called a bimah. Behind the bimah is the ark, a cabinet where the most important, the holiest objects in the room are kept safe, the Torah scrolls. Every week of the year from the bimah, a Torah portion is read and understand it. 
The same process of reading and interpretation of the sacred scriptures that we share here. Once a year in the fall, there is a particular celebration known as Simchat Torah, rejoicing with the Torah. That's the day when the last reading of the Torah happens, the very end of Deuteronomy where Moses dies looking over the promised land. But instead of just ending on Simchat Torah, on that very same day, the community goes back to the beginning and and reads the first words of Genesis. The idea, of course, is that God is eternal, and, and so is the Torah. God's wisdom never ends. The law, the life, the love of God in the word of God is continually given to God's people through story. Simchat Torah is the one day when the scrolls are taken out of the ark and they are danced seven times around the sanctuary. Everyone gets to hold them. It can be raucous and joyful. You might ask one of your Jewish friends if you can go to services this coming fall. I hope you see the roots of that celebration in today's passage from Nehemiah. This is a story about our story. The main character in this reading today isn't Nehemiah and it's not Ezra. It's not even all the people who, if you were listening, are mentioned like 13 times in 12 verses. The main character is the story itself. That story, you know the story. It begins in the beginning with God's ingenious creativity. It's a story about the Garden of Eden and about floods and rainbows. It's a story about an old couple, Abram and Sarah, sent late in their life on a journey of faith. It's a story about mothers and their daughters and fathers and their sons and siblings who hate each other. It's a story about famine and pharaohs and miracles of freedom. It's a story about wandering in the desert for year after year after year, about tablets that come from Sinai inscribed by God's finger. It's about golden idols. It's God's story, and it's yours. That day outside the water gate in Jerusalem, Ezra and the teacher stood in front of all the people and they read and they interpreted that story. And I hope you heard what the people did upon the hearing of the story. Standing there in the remains of their once great city, with its hastily erected walls surrounded by the ghosts of their past, overwhelmed probably by the task of rebuilding something that could never be the same, what did they do? In that moment when the people gathered had so recently assumed that God had left them in the exile to die, what did they do when they heard the story of God's abiding love? and God's faithfulness. They wept. Ezra and Nehemiah are embarrassed by all the weepiness. No, 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 no crying. This is a day of celebration. They push on through the tears and get on with the potluck part of the day. 
But I think you should linger on the fact that these folks, our ancestors, in the moment of their existential crisis, when the question of who they were and who they should be in the world was very much in doubt, they heard their story read to them and they wept. Commentators have long asked, why? Why all the tears? Some have said they wept for the sad state of their city and the precipitous decline of their religious institutions, shadows of their former self. Some say they heard God's law and knew in that moment how far away they were from faithfulness and they wept out of guilt. I wonder too. So I want to ask you today, when was the last time you heard a story that made you weep? It happens to me more than I like to admit. I watched the movie Encanto with my daughter Margaret the other night. Anybody seen it yet? No spoilers, don't worry. But I can say that the main character in the story is a girl who is a little different from the other kids in the family, and she thinks that because she's different, she doesn't really belong. But it turns out that she is the one who makes the family strong. I watched that story sitting next to my daughter, who's been through so much, and maybe because she has, she thinks she's a little different. But the truth is, she makes our family strong. And so, you know, I felt my eyes kind of doing that thing, (laughs) right? Doing that thing. Stories do that to us all the time. I hope they do for you. They better do that for you. I remember, I'll always remember the StoryCorps account of Mary Johnson, whose only son was killed, and she went to the prison to see the young man who took her son's life. And at the end of their conversation, Johnson broke down, And that young man, O'Shea Israel, hugged her. And from that moment on, both of them say they became like mother and son to each other. That story makes me cry every dang time I hear it because revenge always feels like it's more powerful than mercy, but it's not. It's so good to hear it and to see it. What stories make you weep? I know it's a cliche, but every time this time of year when I hear that grainy recording of the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, and that voice, that voice, you know that voice, it starts in, I have a dream today. Every time I hear it, I weep. Because that dream of justice, of human beings treating each other like we are family, that is my dream too, and I start crying. These stories get inside of us. They find their way past the guard dogs of our cynicism. And these stories, when they get in, start vibrating like musical chords with the most human parts of ourselves. These stories remind us who we are, and they speak us into a deeper faith, a fuller and a truer way of being alive. 
I know why the people wept that day. I think I know why. That story got around to their fear. And behind their doubt, it got inside of them. This story about a God who showers this world with beauty, who makes sure there's enough for everyone. This story about a God who takes brothers that want to kill each other and gets them to embrace each other and be reconciled. This story about God who can take even what you intended for evil and turn it into good. This story about God who shows up out of the corner of our eye in the wilderness and makes a call and a claim on our lives. A call and a claim that you think is impossible. Until that day with God's help when you have accomplished that very thing. This story about a God who parts the waters when you have no place else to go. A God who makes a way out of no way. In the story, God reminds us again and again and again, you were slaves in Egypt. Your ancestor was a wandering Aramean. Never forget it. You must be the ones who seek the liberation of others. You must be the ones who insist that debts are forgiven. You must be the one who welcomes the stranger in. Those people heard this story about flawed, sometimes selfish, often deceitful, and just plain crabby people like themselves. And the story says that God never gives up on them. That day at the water gate, when our ancestors heard their story again, they knew that God had not left them. Their story had not stopped with the exile. God's law, God's love, God's mercy, God's story never ends. And that day they knew that the story would include them Every week on this platform, we also open this old, old story about God and God's beloved people, and we let that story speak to us. And more often than not, it does find its way past our guards. It gives a mirror into our own lives. It provides a reason for us to think differently about our life. It calls us to turn in a new direction. It gives us cause to rejoice and to give thanks The story reminds us again and again and again that love wins, that mercy is new every morning, that there is enough for everyone, and that even our enemies are worthy of our love. Some days it's enough just to hear the story and to weep. God's story continues today in the hearing of all the people. Let the church say, Amen.
Oh.